You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This week, we had the chance to talk to Miran Ali, spokesperson for the Star Network, a network of Asian producer associations in the apparel and footwear industry. And our main episodes this week focus on that and the Star Network's recent call for minimum standards on purchasing practices. But as with any good conversation, our chatting sometimes got a little off topic. And as a result, we have a short bonus episode for you. In it, Miran shares a bit more detail about Bitopi Group, the manufacturing company he manages in Bangladesh. He shares a bit about the innovative sustainability projects Bitopi is leading and how he's overcome obstacles like access to financing and weak returns on investment. We were introduced to Miran by GIZ Fabric. The Fabric project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation towards fair production for people and the environment. Miran was a speaker on both the first and the 11th seminar within their web series, Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry. All the seminars are free and available online, and we highly recommend checking them out. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at Manufactured underscore podcast. Or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation for our homepage. To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry, check out the links we've put in our show notes. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. So I was, I'm not a big manufacturer in the context of Bangladesh. Um, so I was wondering, where was it that, what is it that we need to do? What, what else do we need to do to differentiate ourselves? To be cheaper, you always have somebody cheaper. You can have, you can work on efficiency, yes, and then there's always going to be um, a, a limit on how much efficiency you can have. Then you have to talk about automation, how much automation you want to do. I, but then I thought about, and then there was a lot of discussion, and this is about six or seven years ago. Um, discussion was starting to appear about the environmental cost of the uh, fashion business. And that's what sort of led me into it. And it was, in fact, a project with the IFC, uh, part of the World Bank, called PACT, Partnership for Cleaner Textiles. Now, when PACT came to my factory, that was almost 10 years ago, when PACT came to my factory for the first time, I discovered that there was so much I was wasting that I could otherwise, for not for a massive investment, but for a very reasonable investment, start saving. And that got me into the journey. And then, then, um, then it became a more a question of, okay, what next? What next? Um, one, one more point I want to continue about the environmental part. I am actually um, right now in the process of finalizing the installation, the agreement for the installation of what would be, what will be the largest roof-mounted solar power plant in this country in one of my factories where 
upon completion of the installation, which should take another six months or so, we would be in a position where almost 70% of the entire electrical requirement, that's including sewing machines, um, 70% is going to be purely renewable energy. Now, that is going to really push, raise the bar on where you can go. One of the things that, you know, funny things that you notice when you fly into a place like Delhi or Addis Ababa or Cambodia for that matter, it's a sunny place. You look out the window, you'll be surprised at how few solar panels you'll be seeing on top of roofs. Um, in Cambodia, you've got all these factories which are primarily prefabricated sheds that I, that, I, that I visited. And I visited a few of them. And they have skylights, which are good. You have natural lighting, but they don't have solar panels. Um, Bangladesh has been, as a country, one of the leading, um, in leading countries in the world when it came to um, the propagation of solar panels. It is, not, it is not because we are sunny all the time. We have variable weather. But the fact remains that in order to get an electrical connection in Bangladesh, you must have a certain percentage of solar power. So when you fly into Dhaka, you're going to see that every building has a solar panel. Anyway, so uh, some of the other things that we are also working on is that we are experimenting with, in one of our factories, experimenting with reverse osmosis to see how we can recycle the water back into production. This is turning out to be an incredibly expensive and slow process. It is not something that we have perfected yet. We are doing it, but it's not ideal. We need to work on this further. I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> like one of the things that we hear from a lot of manufacturers, of course, is uh, the the challenge. One of the challenges they face with capital investment is number one, securing the capital, and number two, you know, even once, like, let's say they've invested in a new machine or new equipment or whatever it is. I mean, it's, uh, let's say like a machine that that supports with a particular production process specifically that then after that, it's very hard to get the return on investment because the materials that are being produced from it go for such a low price. Well, yes. So uh, uh, let me address the part about the machines first. Um, mm. The conventional sewing machine that we have all seen in our factories used to be basically you turn the button on and it keeps on running. Now, we have retrofitted all the sewing machines in our company to put in uh, what are called servo motors, which are start and stop. In effect, in, in most factories in the world still today, you would still find that the machines, the worker comes in in the morning, switches it on, and the motor is still running, whether or not the clutch is down. If the clutch is down, mm. the needle is down, but the needle is only down about 30% of the time, 70% of the time, the motor is just whirring away, wasting electricity. This, is a, this was one of the first things we changed. We changed all the sewing machine motors to be start and stop, the same technology that we get in an electric car. And giving, putting that, um, and that can be retrofitted. So this does have a payback. Now the question is, can I afford the investment? I could, I did. I had to take on loans, but I did it. Um, and it does have a payback. When it comes to solar, it's a more complicated situation. It does not, I don't need to do solar. Um, it's actually better not to. Because solar, the payback time is somewhere in the region of 10 to 11 years. Now, putting in $4 million for an, a 10-year return is not really 
frankly, a <laughs> viable thing. Why would I do it? I'm doing it on a couple of for a couple of reasons. Number one, it is what is called a build, operate, lease, transfer model. Yeah, I think I've got that right. So a power company will be building it. A power company will be operating it. A private power company. I will be leasing that facility, which is on top of my head, from the power company. In the course of time, after I've paid um, a certain installment, certain number of installments, $4 million, then, <coughs> excuse me, then the, um, the, the, the infrastructure comes into my ownership. This, now mm. what, this have, what this model allows is for me to take on this investment without actually having to take on the debt, which I can't afford. Interesting. That's very interesting. And it's very smart. So, so we, we've been working with some of our customers like H&M and Decathlon, who have been very involved in this project in trying to work with the Bangladesh um, government authorities. And we have, in fact, changed the rules to allow this to happen without bank guarantees and stuff like that, which I can't give. If I can give a bank guarantee, then I might as well take the loan myself. Right. Um, and we've also got a net metering. So one of the interesting things about solar power is that in a garments factory, you start operations at 8 o'clock. Your peak time for solar production is at 12.30 p.m. That's when we are all going to lunch. So um, within that, that's going to be the time, 12.30 to 2 p.m., when you actually sell power back to the grid. Also on weekends, holidays, public holidays, when power consumption is still high because people are at home or watching TV or whatever, factories closed. That is the time when you pay, when you put energy back into the grid. Is energy in, in Bangladesh, I, I don't know anything about how it's run, but is it, is it a state-run industry or is it private? The national grid is a state-run industry, but there are private power companies who, which run private power plants. So one of the power companies that we have done the joint venture with is one which runs power plants, but they're going to be putting up a solar panel plant instead. Now, I want to talk a little bit about product, um, and, and then I'll finish with my part of the business. Um, <laughs> what, what, one of the things that we have done is that we have diversified um, on multiple tiers, both the product that I make as well as where I make it for. So. In terms of the product, I do the standard. Okay, you go into a factory anywhere in the world, they do denim trousers, they do non-denim trousers. But I do denim trousers and non-denim trousers for everything, for every age category starting from zero to three months up to plus size, men's, whatever. In addition to that, I also do denim trousers. I do non-denim trousers, but I also make shirts. I make blouses. I make some t-shirts. I do very technical outerwear. Now, my, the minutes, to be specific, on my garments run anywhere from, I don't know, 14 minutes for a pair of boxer shorts up to 180 for uh, mm. a, a triple layer sailing jacket, which is specifically meant to be waterproof up to a certain, certain uh, performance level. So 12 minutes, to 180 minutes. That's the range of product I make. 
That's a, yeah, that's a lot of different setups to have to have. <laughs> yeah, uh, it just probably explains why I can't sleep anyway. So, and then <laughs> in addition to that, we also diversify the market we work with. So I work with several global retailers, omni-channel retailers. The advantage of working with a global omni-channel retailer is something that has become blatantly obvious in the last one year. If you're working for somebody who has sales in Australia, South America, North America, Asia, if one market is closed, if one region is going into a lockdown, somewhere else is open. If they have online retail, at least some retail channels are still open. There's some churn, turn, churn, um, turnover still happening. Um, if you are in a, if you are focused, and factories in Bangladesh tend to be I went to one factory in Cambodia, which did 100% United Kingdom business. Um, mm. And 99% uh, and 90, for one customer. Now, in terms of merchandising, quality control, productivity, fantastic. And I always wanted to be that factory. But um, in terms of uh, risk management, they're probably dead now. Um, so... And the other thing to diversify is not just having global customers who are global in nature with omni-channel retail, but also to have diversified markets entirely. So I also supply specifically Australian companies and Russian companies, as well as some, some well, one semi-Chinese brand, um, as well as regional markets in North Europe North and um, Western Europe, as well as North America. And I do active wear in addition to fashion. Mm. So that has allowed me to survive so, this. Diversification in terms of products, diversification in terms of customers, diversification in terms of geographies. Yes. And it's, that's the only key to survival for the next global whatever happens. But what I think is especially interesting about this is I, a lot of the suppliers we've talked to have have echoed a lot of your sentiments, but then have also taken it one step further and said, well, we're also going to diversify in the sense that we're going to take on multiple tiers of the production. You know, we're going to go into spinning, we're going to go into uh, become a fabric mill, and we're also going to do the cut and sew. And so I think what's interesting about your perspective is that you've diversified in all these ways and yet sort of drawn a line around the the vertical integration sort yeah. of um, aspect of diversification. Yes, and in my case, it's, it's, it's a simple answer it's because I can't afford it. Um, and uh, yeah. so I got to make, if I can't afford something, I've got to make do with best with what I can afford. And that is to diversify forwards. So I have design studios in the UK and in Spain. And I offer my customers original designs, original collections. Now that's forward integration, but, or I'm not sure if it's forward or back, but whatever, but it's. Yeah, yeah, I, I, know, I know what you, you mean. You know what I mean? <laughs> so rather than, I'm also always kind of like, is it upstream, downstream? I don't know, I, I'm yeah, I mean, Yeah, so um, uh, in, in a way, um, yeah, I would, I would like, there are some things I would like to invest in in the textile sector. But for me at the moment, given where I am, it is not something I'm considering. But by putting in a design element 
into my offering, in addition with all the diversification, I can now offer you um, uh, in-house design on a number of criteria for a number of different specific markets. I can't do it for all markets. Thank you, Miran, for sharing a bit about Bitopi Group. And please tune in to our main episodes this week, during which Miran talks about his role as spokesperson of the Star Network and their groundbreaking initiative calling for minimum standards on purchasing practices. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.